A note to the listeners, episode 62 contains some mature themes and explicit language. Word nerd. Wordsmith. Wordy. Wordless. Oxford Dictionary says a word is a single, distinct, meaningful element of speech or writing, used with others or sometimes alone. We say each one matters. No extra words is literature, minimalist style. And we're getting you right to the story. Low by Harold Clay Paranoia was a constant companion the year after Michelle left. Ben was caught in its slippery skin, unable to slide free. The buildings were faces that stared at Ben as he passed. When he turned to confront the stalkers, they disappeared into closed doors and blind alleys. There was a night he rode his bike clear across the city, convinced he was being chased until he stopped from exhaustion at an unknown bench. He sat and wondered at the nightly intersection of city and sky. It was a lonely bus ride back across town. Ben left the city to forget, but was followed by the worst hanger-on, himself. He tried his best to hide, but fear steeped through the cracks of whatever shell he made, waiting to drown him. Ben ran, and Ben followed. He was painting a mural before, now there was a wayward blob of color. He couldn't create anything decent. He couldn't maintain conversations without looking beyond the other person. His circle of friends shrank as he withdrew. One night he was drinking alone on the river that cut through downtown. It was a weekday, but what did that matter? The days were stacked haphazardly. The nights were toppled days. Another swig of cheap sangria from the brown paper bag. Ben started to tap the rhythm with foot and bag, to Gil Scott's tune about people living in the bottle. He even started to sing, a talent Ben never possessed. Occasionally people passed him drinking on the steps by the river. Some stared. Some pointed and laughed. Most kept walking with their heads down. He took a swig in honor of each one, jeerers and sympathetic alike. They were the same when it counted. At the end of every bottle, a new meaning for the river hemmed in by the city, indiscriminate nirvana. He felt a hand on his shoulder. He turned around, ready to swing, but lost his balance and nearly fell into the water, but the hand caught him. Ben's vision spun in circles at the sudden movements. He had drunk enough to hospitalize most people, but habit had immunized his body. Ben muttered to himself, I could little don roadside truck no stand like cross pavers cones hills she carried croaking my embossed and burst also oh, ham ben jumped up and pointed to the sky he looked lucid for a second then crumpled again the man watched over the incapacitated ben for a while then urged him to stand supporting him as they walked to his car a short distance away as soon as Ben's head hit the passenger seat, he was dead to the world. Ben awoke in a bed. It was an unfamiliar bed in an unfamiliar room, but Ben was used to waking in strange places for the past year. His first instinct was to reach for the nip of liquor he hid in his jacket to feed his horrendous headache, something to wrap itself around instead of gnawing on his own skull. His hand came up empty. Ben frantically searched every pocket and his entire person— he was a child checking under the bed for monsters. Nothing there. He opened the bedroom door, intent on finding relief, 
wandered through a hallway and into a simple kitchen complete with small table. Ben froze. He knew the person sitting at the table immediately. It was Quinn, a friend from another life. Quinn had fallen off the deep end. Actually, he disappeared on Ben. They went from best of friends to zero contact. Even in the foggy stupor that characterized Ben these days, he still remembered how much Quinn hurt him. Quinn stopped going to class, didn't return Ben's calls, and never was home when Ben tried to rouse him. The rumor was Quinn tried heroin after a failed suicide attempt and never looked back. He was expelled from the university shortly after his disappearance and lived on the streets of metro areas far removed from their friendship. Ben had been torn by Quinn trying to end his life, then shutting off from the outside. He tried to reach his longtime friend now and again the following years, but never succeeded. Now he was presumably standing in Quinn's house with his old friend sitting in front of a laptop drinking coffee. Ben's head was roaring. Of all the greetings Ben had imagined, he chose an accusation. You stole my liquor. Quinn broke his concentration to look at Ben. He was self-possessed, a clear distinction to Ben's haggard state. I did. Quinn spoke plainly, not disturbed in the slightest by him being thief and Ben victim. Ben unleashed a string of slurs at Quinn's life and character, accusing him of everything from stealing his cookies as a middle schooler and peddling drugs to Quinn being an unfortunate sociopath who destroyed his life and everyone he cared for. Quinn took the tirade quietly, then offered Ben some coffee and a seat. Ben refused both and asked for his alcohol. Quinn had poured Ben's assorted plastic bottles of liquor down the sink. After all these years of not being around, this is how you come into my life to screw me over? Ben was beside himself. Quinn only poured some coffee and set it at the empty seat. Why don't you take a seat, Ben, and we can talk? Catch up, you know? It's been a while. I'll even grab you an ibuprofen. Ben stared as if he were a dog with rabies at Quinn's back as he checked the medicine cabinet. You are a motherfucker. You know that, Quinn? Ben's anger came out as a howl. He stepped forward, foam at his mouth, unsure of whether to accept the ibuprofen or to rip Quinn's throat out. Hi there! Welcome to No Extra Words, the Flash Fiction Podcast. My name is Chris Baker-Dersh. I'm your producer and editor. It's all about the endings in both of these stories today. They both have a backstory that starts way back. They're those friendships that you have had since you were young that may not be the same and may have morphed over the years, but it's how well do you know these people and are they going to show up at a moment when you need them and are they going to have your back? But I think what hits me about Low is that there really isn't any ending. You're left at this moment where Ben is lunging at Quinn and you don't know if he's going to attack him or if he's going to take the help that's being offered. So it's a moment frozen in time. The story coming up is something that has such a completely different premise to it, but it starts with that same backstory. Two friends who've been friends since they were young, and then you wonder if one is going to have the other's back when it comes time for a tough situation. And I won't give away the end. I will just say that this one is also all about the end of the story, which is, as I said before, one of those things I love about flash fiction is it's so short that you get to that end, and then there's this pause where you let that whole thing that you've just heard soak in. So I'm going to get you to that. Coming up next, Cam lays my pal Rich, and I will see you guys next week here on No Extra Words.
My Pal Rich by Cam Reeslay. That day, I was heading over to Richmond's house on account of wanting to show him my new Shyland DGV hunting rifle. Richmond didn't hunt no more, but the man could still appreciate a nice gun when he saw one. Anyway, it's right after I pull into the driveway and grab the Shyland from the trunk that the screaming starts. A woman. Now my first thought is that Rich is just watching a movie. A horror flick, maybe. And that Rich's system is turned way up so that I can hear it from outside. After all, Richmond runs a home theater biz, so he's got all the top-of-the-line equipment. Best amp, best subwoofer, you name it. But then I get to thinking that, A, Richmond don't really watch horror movies. And B, this screaming ain't accompanied by no music or other background sounds as you might expect from a movie. So that leaves the obvious alternative, which is that someone is really screaming and, you know, that some shit is going down. And then, all of a sudden, there's this whirring, humming sound followed by a thud, and the screaming stops. I walk to the front door and sort of peek my head in since the door is unlocked per the usual. Richmond, I say, but no one says nothing. I hear some movement down in the basement, so I tiptoe over to the stairs and start to walk down. Richmond, I say again, and this time he responds. Gary, he says, God dang it, get the hell out of here, I'm busy. And I tell him that I heard screaming and he's still yelling for me not to walk down there. Of course I don't listen. I keep walking down them stairs and that's when I saw her. My guess is she was 20, 21 tops. She was naked except for the cables that tied her to the chair. Her head was sort of slumped over and her face was all swollen like someone had been beating on her. Richmond is standing over her, holding this taser-looking thingy, and his face has an expression completely unlike anything I'd ever seen on him before. Damn, Gary, he says again. I told you not to come down. And I ask him, what in the holy high hell is going on? But he just says that it ain't what it looks like, and I say, then what is it? And Rich sighs all deep and says that he hadn't wanted to tell me, that he'd wanted to protect me from the truth, but that he's not who I think he is, nor has he ever been. He tells me that he's a quote-unquote galactic protector or some such shit from the planet Godly Gook and that this poor young woman before me, who I'm thinking is probably in one of them sororities up on the hill, ain't a young woman at all, but a such-and-such alien intelligence officer from an extremist cabal called, and I remember this specifically, the Zendarians, who are bent on conquering Earth. And I think to myself, damn, Rich gone crazy. What the hell are you talking about, I say. You and I grew up together. You and I went to boot camp together. To that, Rich says that he was planted here in a young body so that he could assimilate and be accepted into our society. And I'm like, listen to yourself. This shit don't make no sense. Remember when you got caught jerking off in my bathroom when we were 13? Or when you cried for three days when Deanna Miller broke up with you senior year? Or when last spring you got kicked out of the bowling alley for being a drunk a-hole who was throwing nachos at everyone? Those ain't the actions of a galactic protector. Those are the actions of a human man who apparently is also in need of some psychological care. But no matter what I say, he's got some response. Like that he was just trying to fit in, or that he's still subject to human emotions, etc., etc. And he ain't budging on these notions of being some alien protector. It's at this moment 
I realize Rich ain't going to come around, and he ain't going to go quietly either. And right then, the woman kind of stirs and half opens her eyes, and I think about my own little girl, even though she's only seven, and I know what I got to do. So I raise the Shylin and sort of half point it at him and tell him that he needs to put the taser thingy down and we'll sort everything out and get him some professional help and everything will be okay. For a second I think he's going to comply. But then out of nowhere he comes at me with a taser and I don't have time to think so I just react. Just like they taught us in the Marines and BLAM! Rich is bleeding on the floor. Stone cold dead. Now my hand is shaking and I'm crying a little because Rich was one of my pals. But I still managed to untie the girl and help her up the stairs. All the while trying not to look at any of her lady parts. Once upstairs I call the cops. But while I'm on the phone the girl just cuts out of the house and she's gone. Probably scared out of her mind I think. I run outside but she's already up and vanished. The cops come and I tell them everything that went down. At first, they're skeptical, but luckily, Rich was a paranoid son of a gun who had CCTV recordings of the front of his house, which corroborate my story. In the end, everyone just assumes that Rich must have somehow gone off the deep end. We never do find that girl, though. That was three months ago, and I was just starting to get past the nightmares and back to normal when the other day I flip on the tube to watch the game, but on every channel it's the same news feed. You can probably imagine the shock on my face when I saw the footage of them ships floating over New York and Moscow and Beijing and everywhere and here the news girl tells us that the guys flying the ships are demanding our unconditional surrender and that they call themselves Sandarians. Thanks for listening to the No Extra Words podcast. For more information on today's stories and contributors or to learn how to submit your own work, please visit us at noextrawords.wordpress.com. The best support you can give the show is to recommend us to your family and friends. See you next time.